0: You're listening to an Axe Church sermon. If you haven't heard of Axe Church before, we are a church in Camas, Washington. You can check us out at axcamas.org. You can see what we're about and what we're up to. We're glad you're listening today and hope you enjoy this sermon. I am reading out of Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. It says When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying,
1: Ah, I'm not used to the big lights. my goodness what we read uh at the beginning what uh, um, what Hunter read is the text for this message about feeding the feeding the hungry and visiting the sick um, and uh, there are consequences for those who do those who are active in ministry and and those and those who are not. So I want to focus on, on just this, this part of, of that passage in Matthew 25, starting with verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father. Are there any of those here that are blessed by God? Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. I often thought I'd like to call the ministry there in the Philippines, the least of these because that's, that's really who we minister to there. So let's, let's take a look at the context here um, in the background. Uh, this parable was told by Jesus at the end of his ministry. Uh, just before, in chapter 24, Jesus is asked by the disciples, tell us about the end. What are the signs of your coming? What will this look like when you come again? How do we know? that this is going to come. They wanted to know the signs of the coming. Matthew 24, 3 says, and he, sat, and he sat on the Mount of Olives and the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Even today, we're still trying to understand these signs uh, that we're seeing. Indeed, it does look like we're approaching the end. Uh, so many signs now that say, I, I think we're getting close. I think sometimes, though, we spend too much time looking forward and maybe not enough time looking at today. Uh, my question is always if he comes today, am I ready? Um, is my family ready? Or my loved ones ready? Are my neighbors ready? When Jesus asked, when Jesus asked during judgment, what did you do with the thing, with with the life that I gave you? I, I want to be able to give a good account. Or more than that, I hope he knows that I tried my best or we tried our best. I want to hear well done good and faithful servant don't you So I love where Jesus is going with this because uh, this is his progression also He tells them about the signs of the coming Here's, go- here's what it's going to look like when it gets close because I want you ready And then in verse tw- uh, in verse in chapter 25 he begins talking about what it means to be ready And he gives three parables uh, as examples for 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 the disciples and for us to understand that, yes, He is coming, but will we be ready when He comes? I, I think, you know, some of us may not live out the day. Uh, there's no guarantee of my next breath. There is no guarantee of tomorrow. This, we hopefully... We'll get to live to the end of time. I'd like to see Jesus come back in my lifetime. But the reality is, is, I'll probably meet him before he comes. Will I be ready? Will we be ready? So now at the beginning of verse 25, he starts speaking about the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Twenty-five one, when the kingdom of heaven then the kingdom of heaven will be like. So each time he spent anticipating, so, so much time is spent anticipating his return, and now we want to think about being ready. Sometimes we spend too much time just thinking about today also, and not enough time thinking about tomorrow. So we can be spending too much time thinking about Jesus coming, and we can spend too much time just thinking about today and, and, not, and not prepared for the end of our life uh, or the end of our age. There is a future when Jesus will come, and he will bring judgment, and he will also bring reward. The judgment is for those not ready and unprepared, and the reward is for those who are ready and prepared. And I pray that we will all be ready and prepared. I pray that our loved ones and our family and our neighbors and as many as we can uh, reach will be ready for his coming, for the end of the time, for the end of our life. So the next three parables are the illustration to get us thinking about being ready. The first parable is, is about the virgin's and their oil lamps. Uh, Matthew 25, 1, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like the ten virgins who who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Two, five of them were foolish, and the other five were wise. So uh, sometime one of the elders, or Dr. David, I think he just tells just a, a wonderful story about the Jewish wedding and the being prepared for the bridegroom that comes at night and having the lamp there in the window and the bridegroom that's that's coming here is Jesus Christ and there were five virgins who had their lamps and they brought flasks of oil with them so that when they if, if if the bridegroom tarries they have extra oil to put in their, to put in their lamps the foolish Bride, uh brides, they just filled up their lamp and they have nothing extra and, and, and they go to wait. Well, there's enough time pass where their oil runs out and, and they're unprepared. Uh, 25.6. But at midnight there was a cry. Here's the bridegroom. Come out and meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps except for those that had run out of oil. Because when the bridegroom comes in the Jewish wedding, he comes to get his bride, and if there's a light in the window, she says, I accept you, and I'm ready. And if there's no light in the window that says, I accept you, and I'm ready, then he passes thereby. by. She has rejected him. Verse 25, verse 6 But at midnight, there was a cry, here's the bridegroom, come out and meet him. Oh, I'm there. Verse 11, afterwards, uh, after the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, they had gone to get oil to fill their lamps, but he had already come. Verse 12, and he answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the day nor the hour were to be prepared and, and were to be watching. That's the first parable. There's a time coming. There, the foolish virgins, they were prepared once. And then later they were unprepared. They had done what was right the first time, but it wasn't sustainable. It wasn't livable. And, and, and the other brides... Made sure that they had enough oil, so that when the when the Lord came, when the bridegroom came, the light was in the window and they were ready. And then the second second parable is about the talents. Uh, and, and I love this parable because this was the parable that was preached, and then the and then the hundred dollar challenge came after. Uh, use this hundred dollars. Uh, there were several of us that responded to that and used this $100 invested into the kingdom and see what the Lord does. Uh, the talents here in this parable are, are, are probably bags of silver. Uh, in the parable, it mentions that they're, they're property of, 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 of the master. But but I like the way it's interp- the uh, translators have translated that Greek word into talents because I think that accurately describes... What the Lord has given us. He hasn't given us each bag of silver. He gave me $100. Thank you, Lord. Look what he can do with $100. But many of us have, we are all born with gifts from God. We're all born with talents. We're all born with abilities. Uh, God has gifted each and every one of us uniquely. He's given each and every one of us a unique life. And unique talents and abilities, and he expects us to use those talents and the abilities in this wonderful gift of, of life. This precious, precious gift of life, and this precious gift of salvation, he expects us us to use all that he's given us for his kingdom. Pastor Lagos, every, every on our island there are seven dialects and seven cultures. Just on our island, it's one of the bigger islands. And the dialects cannot communicate with each other. And the customs sometimes are very, very different just from one community to the other. Pastor Alagos is my partner. I don't, I don't speak Tagalog or the dialects very well. We tried to count how many languages he speaks. And, he's, and we're, we're pretty close to about 16. These dialects don't communicate with each other. So his God-given a talent to be able to use language and understand language and and to communicate in many different languages is a gift from God. And he's using that ability as a gift from God. Matthew 25, verse 14. For for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them with his property. 15. 15. And to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, each according to his ability. And then he went away. Two servants did well, the two with five talents and and two talents. They invested them, and they doubled them. We need to invest our lives. Uh, Like the $100 was invested, and all of you now are, are participating in that investment too to spread the good news there in the Philippines, in the remote areas. And so when he comes back, the one with five says, here's ten. And the one with two says, here's four. And here's Jesus' response. Here's the master's response. The master said to them, well done, good and faithful servant, for you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your Master." Could you imagine God being joyful about our lives? Not only he knows what we've done, enter in good and faithful servant, but that he has enjoyed, he's given us this life, this precious gift of life and this precious gift of salvation, and he's given us all of these talents and abilities, and we've done something with them. Can you imagine God just going, Man, I, that's just the way I created that person. That that's just what I intended for their life. Well done. And God taking joy in each and every one of our lives, huh? Amen. What a blessing. Well done, good and faithful servant, for you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now I don't know what that much is going to be like in heaven, in paradise. I have no idea, but it's for eternity. Hello. This life is so small. It's, it's but uh, The Bible says it's but a blink of an eye, but a vapor compared to eternity. When we've been there uh, 10,000, trillions and trillions and trillions of years, we've just begun. We've just begun. That's eternity. What we do with our life today, what we do with our talents today, but what we do with this precious gift that God has given us lasts for eternity. What a wondrous thought, huh? And then the one did nothing with his talent, and his reward was just judgment. Verse, uh, chapter 25, verse 30, And cast that worthless servant into the outer darkness, into the place where there will be weeping and a gnashing of teeth. So the third parable is the one that we're going to concentrate on. And I think it talks about the practicality of what we're doing. We need to be ready. But we need to not run out of oil. We need to make be ready so that when he does come or when, the end, when our life is called, that we have, we have been ready to the end. And we're to be using this life in such a way that multiplies, that makes God... Excited and gives him joy about about the way that we live our life. And then I think this third parable is the is the practicality of that. To be ready for the day, for the coming day, for the end of the age, for the end of our life. So Matthew 25, verse 31. So when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. That's that's the we've all the signs of the end of the age have come, and now he really comes. And he sits on his glorious throne. The Son of Man with, in his glory and with all of the angels sits on his throne. So now here's the final answer to the questions of the disciple that the disciple disciples posed show us the show us the signs of the times the signs of your coming Matthew 24 verse 3 he sat down on the mountain with the disciples uh, came to him privately saying tell us what are the things these things and what will be the sign of your coming the end of the age and now comes the final answer he said here's what it looks like when i come so that you can be ready here's and here's how to be ready Verse 31, so then the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, and he sat on his glorious throne. 32, before him he will gather all the nations, and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. So what, who are the sheep and who are the goats? Verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, that's the sheep, you who were blessed by my father, I pray that's us, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Verse 35, for I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. This is what it looks like. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is the practicality of the life lived for God. This is what we do with our talents and our gifts and our abilities. This is what God expects of us, to be doing something, to love people. Paul said, all of the gospel is summed up in one word. Love your brother as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. I often, times, when I have in the Philippines, I, I carry some money with me, and there's always people that come begging. And if if they come begging, I give them money. And to so me, the Filipinos go, "Well, you you shouldn't because because of this and because of that, and maybe they'll use it for drugs, maybe they'll use it for alcohol, maybe these kids will they'll turn the money back into the syndicate." There's all kinds of reasons why not to help that street kid or that or that mother trying to take care of her, her baby, or the old person who's blind or crippled that comes begging. Uh, I've determined that it's my job to be generous and not my job to judge. And so when they come begging, I, whatever's in my pocket, I give. Only, only once or twice have I been embarrassed to not have any money. I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. Thank you, ex-church. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry, or feed you, or thirsty, or give you something to drink, or a stranger, and show you hospitality, or naked, and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison or visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it unto me. When that child comes begging, when that crippled blind lady being, being uh, drugged by her son who's, who's crippled, begging. Begging and you reach in your pocket or you buy them a meal or you give them some water or you invite them in for a meal, you've done that to Jesus Christ. I think that's where his joy comes. When we do things like that with our lives, with our talents, with our abilities, with our money. Inherit the kingdom of God. So... Is salvation based upon a uh, behavior? Uh, is this parable telling me that, that if I feed the hungry and, and give uh, drink to, the, to those that are thirsty and clothes to those that are naked, that I can go to heaven? Well, that, that's what Jesus says. He says, those on the right, you did this unto me, inherit the kingdom of God. And those who did not were thrown into hell. But I, I think it's deeper than that. It's the reason for that, because there are many great organizations to do wondrous things uh, that don't know God. But when the Typhoon Yolanda hit the Philippines, there were lots of, lots of companies and NGOs that, that poured food in countries and governments that poured food and clothing and stuff into that. They're going to heaven because they did that. No, salvation is based on grace. In Ephesians 2.8 it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. Our salvation is a gift of God. There's only one way to, to have salvation, and it comes as a gift, and it comes through faith. That means I come to a place in my life where, where I recognize Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. And, and that knowing that he's my Lord and Savior produces something different in my life. It causes me to repent. It causes me to, to throw away the worldly things and take on the things of the Lord. It causes me to, to change my mind that leads to a change of action. And so this is more of what that's talking about, a change of actions. Then uh, look at the next verse, verse 9, Ephesians 2, verse 9. And the result not the result of work, so that anyone can boast. For you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that that we should walk in them. So we receive the gift of grace, forgiveness of sins, because we've come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord, our boss, our God, giving us the directions of our life, not us being Lord or boss or God of our life. But when he becomes boss and Lord of our life, grace comes in. Forgiveness of sins come in because we recognize Jesus Christ as our creator in our Lord and our God. And when that happens, he says he has created, given us gifts, he's given us life so that we can go out and do these good things. Then when we're feeding the poor or when we're feeding the hungry and putting putting clothes on the naked. It means something because, because God has changed our life. Because I'm no longer the Lord of my life, my money, my possessions, uh, my, uh, and all and my talents, my ability to sing or make money or, or create businesses. These are no longer the Lord of my life. Jesus is the Lord of my life. Now, all of these things now are important. They're important to love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus loved us enough that he died for us on the cross. He humbled himself, emptied himself of his throne. He gave all of that up to humble himself as a man, to be obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Why? So you and I can live. And now that we are his children, now that we are, he is our Lord, and that same lifestyle now becomes us. So the church now is described in Acts 42. I'm sure you've been through this in detail with Pastor David. What a wonderful teacher you are blessed with. Amen. Acts 2 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship into the breaking bread into prayers. This was the result of the first gospel sermon being preached, preached to the very people that had yelled crucify him, that had caused the death of Jesus Christ. And they're the very first people that received the message, the good news that He's the Christ, the Son of the Living God. And that through repentance and faith comes forgiveness of those of those very sins, of those very sins, of that very rebellion. And then here's what followed as a result, 42. And so now, now that they know that Jesus Christ was their Christ, their Lord and their Savior, and they've been forgiven for their sins, they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's what you're doing right here, right? You come in and listen to the teaching. You're learning about God. You're learning about who he is and what that means in my life. So you're devoted to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship That's why we congregate here and congregate at the life groups and congregate at different events, because we enjoy the fellowship. We enjoy the same God. We enjoy the same salvation. We, We enjoy the same awesome life, and we're having fellowship with one another, breaking bread, and to pray for one another. And then here's the result even more. Verse 44 And all those who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending in the temple together, breaking bread in their homes and receiving food with glad and generous hearts. They were so happy about their salvation They they just couldn't do enough. Learning and fellowship and prayers, participating in the Lord's Supper, having their meals together, and taking care of the poor, taking care of all of those who had need. They pulled their money. They pulled their money. They sold things. They sold their possessions, and they wanted to love their brothers himself. The gospel, Paul said, is summed up in one word. Love your neighbor as yourself because of what God has done for you. Praising God, verse 47 praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Where is the Lord going to bring those who need to be saved? Where is he going to bring those who are saved so that they can, so they can learn about God and they can have fellowship with, with uh, other saints so that they can participate in the ministry of loving their community and loving their world like Jesus loved us? He's going to bring him to his church. He's going to bring him to those that have been saved by his name, that were created by him, to those that are appreciative of what he's done for them. And all of their talents and all of their abilities are used for those in need. When you love people, when you do something for them, they understand love tangibly. And then when you follow that up with, "This is because Jesus loves you. This is in His need. He loves you. He doesn't want to see you naked or suffering. He wants to answer your prayers. He wants to be a part of your life. He wants to help you give up your addictions. He wants to help you heal your families and your marriages and your relationships with your neighbors. God loves you. And that's the full gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to tell just one story. I've only got a couple of minutes, but I want to end with a story. Uh, our fourth church was tabernacle of praise uh, actually, that was our second church and um, it was in a community called Mabasa. You can show the the one uh, the one of uh, all of those standing out in front of the church yeah and uh, they were there for a couple of years and and the owner of the land, and and uh, they had uh, partnership with the owner of the land to build a church. But um, she wanted her her nephew to be posted as a pastor, and he came from a different denomination, and it didn't fit, didn't work. And so, well, they were asked to leave. They had a beautiful church. Pastor Lagos had a beautiful parsonage, and they had been there for almost three years. And so... Uh, when they were asked to leave, they left. Well, and then they they rented a venue, uh, bordering another another barangay, uh, and and uh, their that church doubled in size because they were now serving two different communities. But the Mabasa community, the the captain of the community, and the they have their own captain, they have their own council, they have their own their own police force, each little community, and that those people who are primarily Catholic uh, came to Pastor Lagos and they said, we, we, we don't want you to leave. Uh, we, please come back, and, and if you'll come back, we'll give you some land so that you can build a church on. For two years, that church didn't matter if they were religious or what denomination or what church they belong to. If someone was sick, they visited them. If someone was dying, they went and prayed for them. It, it, when they died, they were a part of the funeral service comforting those that mourned. When they were sick, they, they prayed for them. Some of them even healed through prayers. And Pastor Lagos in that church had loved that community for almost three years. And, and when he left, when the church left, they, they felt a big vacuum of, of someone that would love them and care for them. And they asked him to come back. Well, Tabernacle of Praise was already doing well. But there was a little community adjoining Mabasa. That's Franks. And they gave us some land there, and we built a little church. Franks is a squatter's area. The poorest of the poor live there. But the government, uh, during Typhoon Franks, all that whole community had been washed out to sea, some 3,000 dead. And the governor of the province bought that land and said, I will give each of you a little piece of land, and as long as you live there, it's yours. But when you move, then someone else can come in and live there. And that's Frank's. Uh, it's actually a smaller community of the Mabasa called a Situ, And um, we built a little church there. And the neighbor, they started coming in, tears of joy when I go there. I can, re- I can feel the presence of God. As the children come in, as the mothers come in, you can feel the presence of God. Why? Because we do it under the least of them. Well, I told you the, that now has become CCC. Uh, uh, and it's a, a care program for malnourished children. Those are malnourished children. They were. Uh, Pastor Lagos is the principal of the local elementary school for that community and, and others. And we identified some 70, some moderately to severely malnourished children. And of course, they don't do well in school. And Pastor Lagos is the principal, so he could very readily identify them. And so... We started this weekend program. Pastor Lagos wrote the um, wrote the lesson plans, and we started feeding them nutritious meals. We fed them two on Saturday, and and two on Sunday. And then, uh, very talented teachers came come in, and there's a nurse, and um, she measures how the food is uh, uh, affecting their bodies. They're gaining weight. Uh, the children now are beginning. To be able to think, at least two of them I know are honor students. That's called our CCC program. Under the least of these, he says. Let's pray.
0: Well, thanks for listening to our sermon. Again, this has been a sermon from Axe Church in Camas, Washington. We hope you enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. If you did, you can subscribe to our channel as well as liking and commenting. We love to hear how these sermons are impacting you. You can also take a look at our podcast series that we have out, and we'll catch you again next week.